If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Jenna, and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. If you are struggling with obsessive compulsive disorder, then check out NoCD. NoCD offers online therapy for people who are struggling with OCD anywhere in the United States and now in the United Kingdom. You can do live video sessions with a licensed therapist who specializes in the treatment of OCD, which is exposure and response prevention. Between sessions, you'll get 24-7 support from our peer support community and our clinician-guided tools. You also have the ability to message your therapist from the app for additional support and encouragement. Plus, the app tracks all of your exposures, and there are tons of other ERP tools on there too, like an SOS track to put on when you're really, really struggling. You can get started by booking a free call at www.treatmyocd.com or download the free NoCD app to get started. And depending on what state you live in, you may even be able to work with me as your therapist. We even have free support groups that you can sign up for, and they're all led by a therapist who specializes in ERP. Head to www.treatmyocd.com and tell them that Jenna Overboss sent you. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. I have a guest with me today, Zach Westerbeck. He has a really awesome background. Um, I'll kind of leave it up to him to kind of dive into his introduction, but he's a, a mental health advocate, an author, a speaker, and I'm so super excited to hear his story and share his insights with you guys. So Zach, thank you so much for being here. I know my audience is going to just absolutely love it, so go for it. Yeah, thanks, Jenna, for having me here. I'm I'm glad that we were able to able to connect on on the old Instagram and and kind of coordinate on this. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and I was I was kind of drawn to your your um, podcast just because I I'd seen on on Instagram and then through listening to a, a podcast just that you one of your episodes that you specialized in OCD um, anxiety and postpartum. For me, the OCD and anxiety side was like the most relatable and why I am an advocate, a speaker, um, a college success coach, and then why I published the book, You're Not Alone, uh, which was actually because of my own journey with, with the experiencing the onset of a brain disorder and anxiety and depression. And I don't know how much of that story you want now. I'm happy to give that story right now, but yeah, yeah that's, that's the sure. high level about me. Yeah. So you've, so you know, I love your background. I love your history. I love that you have learned experience with this. I mean, I 
obviously I'm sad for you in a way, but like you, like so many other strong people in the OCD community, you have really taken that and turned it into something super, super powerful by trying to help other people, which I'm sure also has implications for your own sustained recovery, right? Like I know I've, I've part of my story is I've always said that I'm, I'm an anxious person and I definitely struggled with my own stuff during postpartum and part of continuing to give this therapy and continue to help people and advocate, like it helps me in my own recovery. So yeah, I'm just curious. Let's start from the beginning, like how everything had kind of started. I know you said that you just woke up, like you struggled with a lot of kind of physiological symptoms first. So talk to us about that whole experience and then yeah, we'll, we'll get to kind of the end result now, like how you kind of turned all of that into this really powerful motivational speaking type of thing. So just start from the beginning, if you don't mind. Oh, for sure. And I completely uh, resonate with uh, you helping others helps yourself. In fact, that's almost verbatim a quote from my book, because that was one of the biggest things that I discovered. And I think as a human being, you go through phases of trying to find your purpose. And I think in the beginning, it's always rooted in you and like fulfilling your needs and what you like, what it is you want to accomplish. And I think as you kind of knock down some of those simple needs that you need for yourself, it's like, okay, well, what's next? And I think for all human beings, like ultimately grounding yourself in a purpose outside of yourself that helps others helps the environment helps animal you know like nature preservation whatever it might be like something that's bigger than you is where where i've found the most um gratitude and purpose in my life and so i think that that applies to other people as well um so i loved what you just said there in terms of the onset of my brain disorder it was it was it was easily one of the most terrifying times of my life. And I think that's why I advocate and do what I do because the, the quick background for, for everybody listening is that I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I didn't have a traumatic childhood. Like both of my parents have been married for 30 plus years. I have one sibling, um, Sarah, she's one of my best friends. Like we have a great relationship and growing up was a pretty typical upbringing for for um, for a guy, grow, I feel like growing up in Indianapolis, right? Like I, I hung out with friends, I went to school, I played the popular sports that everybody was playing. And when I graduated from high school, I went on to attend Purdue University. And while I was there, I joined the Greek system. So I, I immediately had some camaraderie that way. Um, and when I graduated, I moved down to Raleigh, North Carolina to start working for one of the tech giants, Cisco Systems. So like on paper, it, it pretty much looked like I had all of the quote unquote successful things that you would have in life. And so this is why when I started to experience these symptoms, it was a complete and total blindside. Um, because I, I went down to Raleigh to start working for Cisco in their early and career program. There was going to be 30 to 40 kids our age in it. So it was like, again, just this seamless transition. I've got another group of friends, a sense of community. I'm learning in this, in this kind of new, exciting environment. And things were great for about the first 10 months. But then right around the 10 month mark is when things really started to shift like significantly with the way that my brain functioned. And all of a sudden, I was 
waking up with a pounding heart. You talked about the physiological symptoms. The pounding heart was like the first thing that I noticed. And even it's funny because even like I, I would started becoming cognizant of when I was laying in bed at night trying to fall asleep that I just had this pounding heart. And I'm like, I don't know why this is happening. Um, I would have sweaty palms, a dry mouth, racing thoughts. And as a 22 year old fresh out of school, who'd never been educated on anything mental health related, I just knew that I didn't like what I was feeling and that I wanted it to go away. And uh, 2016 was right around the corner. And so I thought to myself, okay, I'm gonna take the month of January and I'm going to detoxify my brain. That was my idea. And at that time I had a belief system that my brain was like a light switch. Something had been flipped on inside of my brain and I just had to turn it off to bring it back to my old normal brain. And candidly for, for you and your listeners, I was like, and I think at the time I didn't really, re I didn't, I wouldn't have associated it with this, but when I was in college, I was like constantly um, like, indulging in cannabis and I was partying a lot. And I think in a lot of ways I was self-medicating and not really realizing it because it was just the culture that we were in. And now that I was in the corporate world and I wasn't drinking on uh, a Wednesday or a Thursday, for example, and I wasn't um, smoking or doing anything like that, I like, I was getting in touch with a brain, like a clear headed brain. And so the whole detoxifying was like, okay, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to sit in the steam room, sweat out all the toxins, AKA alcohol and cannabis in my body. And this is going, this is going to reset my brain. I, in my mind, I just worn my brain out and it just, it just needed a reset, um, which to 22 year old Zach seemed like a really reasonable uh, reasonable idea. And so that's what I did. I did that for 31 days and I did get results. The only challenge is that it wasn't the results that I was looking for. And by the end of the month, not only had the physiological symptoms I told you about get worse and intensify that I now know was severe anxiety, but a second symptom had crept in and that was depression. And I'd never experienced depression. Um, at least I don't think I, would have labeled it as that in the past. Um, I didn't know anybody that was openly talking about depression. And of course, looking back on it, the, the depression was fueled by the intrusive thoughts. So anybody in your community that um, struggles with OCD knows how um, tricky intrusive thoughts can be and how, and how painful they can really be. Um, but for me, the intrusive thoughts were, were driving these feelings of depression. And the harder that I tried to stop the thoughts, the worse that they got, the louder that they became in my brain and the more depressed um, I became. And so my little plan to reset my brain did not work. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I need to like pull the emergency chute here because I feel like I'm, I'm free falling here. I'm losing complete and total control of my brain. And I have no idea why this is happening. So I'm 22 years old, 10 hour drive from home, no clue what's going on. And panic starts to set in. 
And this is the, the kind of the part of my journey where it was like Zach's home remedies. So the, the detoxifying didn't work, but now I'm trying all these other remedies. I'm working out at different times. I'm cutting out foods. I'm, you know, obviously I'm still on the whole substance kick. I'm like, okay, I got to get rid of these. These are, these are what's messing up my brain. This is what, you know, almost getting mad at myself. Like you fool, you party too much. Like you screwed yourself over. Like this is what you get. Um, but still like kind of holding on to this idea that I could reset my brain and bring things back to the way that they used to be. And I was doing two things really, really well during this time. I was hiding from the outside world what I was experiencing. So again, this gets back to like the perfect, the picturesque life, that Instagram filter, the, the world that we live in now where everything looks so great and perfect from the outside. That's what I was doing, right? I was wearing a mask. I was hiding from others what I was experiencing. And I think largely because I didn't know what I was experiencing. I had these intrusive thoughts that I wanted to stop um, that were causing me to feel depressed and anxious. And obviously there's compulsions that come with that. We can dive into that if you want. But so I'm compulsing internally and I'm, uh, I'm struggling and I'm hiding it. And the other thing that I'm doing really, really well is I'm denying to myself how quickly my brain health is deteriorating. And I think that I was doing this as a survival mechanism to, in, in a lot of ways, protect myself from the realization of how much hopelessness was starting to creep in. And I, I always say this, that hopelessness is the seed of doubt that leads to suicidal thinking. And hope is the seed uh, planted that leads to recovery. Well, I became acutely aware of my, my hopelessness about five months into this process as I'm trying everything under the sun that I think, right, again, because I had a mentality that I was the one that needed to have the answers. Um, hopelessness is setting in that I am not fixing this and things are getting worse. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, things are getting worse and nothing is working. I'm really starting to freak out now. And this led to, at first it was one, then it was a few, then it was like on and off. And then it was constantly having thoughts of suicide. So this was waking up. The moment I woke up, the moment I looked in the mirror, trying to wipe the sleep out of my eyes, boom, suicidal thoughts. Driving in rush hour traffic, up, oh, somebody just cut me off. I could care less about that, suicidal thoughts. I'm in a meeting right now and my manager is trying to tell us something that I'm supposed to care about, but I don't really care right now because you're talking to me and I'm having suicidal thoughts. So this went on all day, every day. And it wasn't until my pivotal moment, my rock bottom moment, but it was pivotal, where I came home from work one day, thoughts were as bad as they'd ever been. And I was out on the balcony of my four story apartment and I went there every single day during this time period to just get a little, little bit of peace. So I was watching the sunset, um, just kind of trying to take in the, the surroundings and just trying to, again, just like get out of my head is the best way I could describe it. And I look over the balcony and a thought pops into my head and it's just, Hey, if you, you know, if you go over the edge face first, you'll probably get the job done. You know, you'll probably end this suffering and, you don't have to live like this anymore because when I thought five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, if this is how things were going to be, 
simply put, this just wasn't what I signed up for. And I think that people who experience anxiety, depression, um, they get, they understand what I'm saying, especially when it's at a deep level. And when you get to that level of hopelessness, the pain is so unbearable um, that sometimes you think you, you, you want to, you want to do what you have to do to end the suffering. And so I, I understand, and that's why I advocate. And I remember that thought popped into my head, tears welding in my eyes, and I fell back into my apartment, right? My heart was pounding through my chest. I was, I, I, the way I say it is I broke my own heart. Like, I felt like I, my own brain had turned against me. Here, here's been my greatest ally my whole life, and now it's turned against me. And I remember I just cried in the fetal position for like forever. It felt like I just, I didn't, I had two roommates at the time. I didn't care if they came in and saw me. I was broken, broken. Wasn't trying to hide it anymore. Didn't care. And I thought to myself, okay, first off, yeah, you're having these suicidal thoughts, but you want to live. Like you have like a deep zest for life. Like there is a will to live here. Like what can we do? you've tried everything. What can we do? It's like, Oh, well, I haven't told anybody about this. So I called my parents and I had told my mom about the thoughts and she had sent, she had put so much time into reassurance, which as a OCD therapist, you understand actually how detrimental that is. But of course she was coming from a place of love. She was trying to help me. Um, and I just told him, I said, look, I'm suicidal. I'm having suicidal thoughts. I don't know why this is happening. I can't stop them. The worst, the harder I try, the worse that they get. I don't know what to do anymore. I want to live, but I don't know what to do anymore. And, you know, they told me that I could come home and that I could get some help. Um, and I, I was so stubborn at that time. And I was like, I don't want to come home, but I am open to, to getting help. And, and that conversation is what propelled me into my journey of recovery. And although I didn't initially find the right therapist, and this is a big thing that I work on is trying to close the gap around getting the proper diagnosis. I did eventually find a therapist that specialized in what I was going through. And in late 2016, I was diagnosed with a chronic brain disorder known as obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD where the core symptoms are severe anxiety, deep depression, and thoughts of suicide. And I immediately started talk therapy specific to OCD, um, which is exposure and response prevention. And over the course of the next couple of years, through ERP, which again is exposure and response prevention, lifestyle changes and mindset shifts, I was able to get back to a place where I wanted to advocate for others. Because if I was somebody that on paper had it all, and could literally be brought to the fetal position, so hopeless, so lost, so desperate for help, I wanted to make sure that I could give back and give it to others who needed it. And so um, I became mental health first aid certified. I created my signature mental health awareness program, and I started writing a book that I released in October of 2020 called You're Not Alone. And the reason why the book is titled You're Not Alone is I think when, when people are in that space and you don't know anybody who's talking about it. I mean, back in 2016, nobody 
was talking about it. Now there's a lot more buzz around it and I love it. I, as an advocate, I literally love it because we're probably saving countless lives just indirectly, right, Jenna? Like people that you'll never even meet that they listen to an episode and you save them because you've created this platform. For sure. Um, awesome. It's an awesome feeling. It, it's so awesome. And just that, just knowing that you're not alone is enough to give you hope to, to push forward because it, it, it shows you not, you're not weak, weird, or different. And so um, that's my story. And that's why I do what I do um, because I know what it feels like to be walking the tightrope of life and to be scared, um, to feel lost, purposelessness, uh, all of it. It's, it's so important that we talk about this. And so um, that's what led me on my journey and ultimately what's led me to see your podcast. So yeah, that's my story. Well, I'm so honored. I mean, I already have kind of this imposter syndrome whenever someone says that they love my podcast, not to mention like, you know, meeting with people who have actually been so touched by it and who have lived it the way that you've lived it. Like it's truly incredible. So, so much of everything that you shared resonates with me completely and I'm sure resonates with so many people who are listening. One of them is this concept that like on paper you say that you had it all together and something that I'm really open about on the other episodes in the podcast and um, just in general is my own postpartum OCD experience. Um, mm. I think a lot of people who became OCD therapists they like had OCD before. It's really common to have had OCD before and then want to turn that into a therapist role. I feel like I was opposite. Like I had been in the field for 10 or 12 years and then I had my son and I walked into motherhood thinking like, I have it all together. I have money. I have a great job. I know everything there is to know about OCD. I've spoken at conferences. I've developed protocols and treatment interventions. I'm a published author. Like I know OCD could be an issue for moms, but it's not going to be for me. I have mm. a husband, like I had, my mom came out and, you know, moved here from Pennsylvania. Like I was naively ignorant about how everything could play out. And so, you know, I obviously started to experience a lot of obsessive compulsive symptoms for a year and a half. I didn't get help. And you brought me like your story brought me back to my own situation where like in hindsight, obviously you were struggling. Like now that you're clear, you can look back at that time and be like, yes, that was depression. Yes. Like, why did you wait so long to get help? But in the mm -hmm. moment I remember, like, it just, it felt so far away. Like it felt like it just, it, it, you're so hopeless. You feel like there's something like special about you, but in a bad way, like that you're yep. <laughs> like that somehow you're, it's not going to help you and that somehow you're too sick or not sick enough. And it's like, you don't even have the energy to get started. And I on paper also had it all together, like, especially as an OCD therapist now really struggling with intrusive thoughts and pulling over and having to take my son out of his car seat to make sure that I didn't leave him in the grocery store. Like, it was ridiculous. Mm. And mm. like, I remember struggling with suicidal thoughts too. And like, I fantasized about rolling out of a moving vehicle. Like yep. that was my thing for a whole year. Like uh, so much. So I actually, like I celebrated the day that I moved my, like I got a new car. Cause I was like, that's like a big sign of progress to me. Like the, that was the car that I had all those thoughts in. And so yes. like, I got a new car. Like once I started therapy and yeah, like for a year and a half, 
I had those thoughts and I thought about it and I wanted to do it. And I thought about how I could get away with doing it without like harming other people. And I'm like, obviously in hindsight, like you said, it's so easy to look back now. And obviously we were struggling, but it's so hard in those moments when you're in the thick of it, like when you're in the trenches, it's just so hard to, to do what, what you need to do. I, I so agree with that. And actually one thing that you said that I think is really worth pointing out is like, we always believe that it's never going to happen to us. We always believe that. Like, and I, it's funny too, that you say that because even to a certain extent, like I, you as a practitioner, like you knew, at least knew it was an option. I didn't even know it was an option. Like, I didn't even know that this was something that like, you know, you hear about like, oh, the cancer survivor, the, the somebody with Parkinson's, somebody with Alzheimer's, you hear about diabetes and heart disease and overcoming these challenges. And I didn't even know that obsessive compulsive disorder was an option for me. Um, and that, that was like part of, I remember having such a bad day one day. And I remember exactly where I was standing. It was like this flashbulb moment, like how you remember where you were during 9-11. I remember like where I was when I had this thought. I was like, oh my gosh, if I am struggling this much and I know what this is, like I know exactly, like I'm having intrusive thoughts about looking for too long while my son is in the bathtub at his private parts. Like, and yep. Oh yeah. Around it, like, and I know exactly what this is. What about all the people who don't know what this is? Like, I literally, like, I don't know how more people make it out alive, honestly, when, when they don't have the context for it that I did. And so that launched me into creating a mom group with now like 3,500 members. And I, like, awesome. I just love partnering with these badass advocates who are willing and wanting to just churn all of that experience into good and like making sure that no one else can have to go through that well first off kudos to you that's incredible that you created that support group that's amazing um and it's funny you bring that up too about just wondering like how some of these people get by without treatment there was a guy in it was like wales or scotland it was like somewhere over in europe but uh on the island, if you will. I don't know if it was the UK, Scotland, Wales, where it was, but. Somewhere where they don't have treatment. <laughs> exactly. And he wrote me a letter that he had listened to an interview about, because um, obviously there's so many different genres and you, you brought up looking at your son's private parts. And I had um, pedophilia OCD as well. Like I had that genre of thoughts. He listened to my interview. He'd been struggling with those thoughts for 20, 25 years, I think it was. He had quit his job as a teacher. His life had become so small in terms of, and you know, and this is a big concept in OCD, right? Like with OCD, your life is always either contracting or expanding, depending on if you're doing what you need to do to, to work on the compulsions, work on the intrusive thoughts. And his world had contracted so much to the point where he was basically doing nothing because he was so terrified of acting on one of those thoughts. And he wrote an old school handwritten letter, you know, and it was just like, it was touching, but it, it actually, it kind of broke my heart too, to your point, Jenna, just how many people still around the world are living this really painful, constricted lifestyle 
because they don't know any better and they don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's truly awful. And that's why, I mean, I love what we do. I love what we could obviously go on forever. I love what we do. And I think that we're better able to do it. Obviously advocates of any kind are welcome and we need all of them to have a strong, strong voice. But I think just having had that lived experience, like I feel like such a better mom, I feel like such a better therapist, I feel like such a better advocate now uh, because I kind of saw a window into what it's like. And yeah, it's just, it's really crazy to think about. And that's obviously the energy that kind of keeps us going to help reach these people. I've often said that one of my favorite go-to self-care routines is to get my nails done. But if you're like me, then you just can't justify salon prices or the harshness that these bring to your nails. Olive in June allows you to get the salon quality manicures and pedicures at home. You can easily go up to seven days without chipping, you don't have to leave the house, and you can finally stop spending $35 or more every two weeks on getting them done. For $10 off your first order, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com and click on deals. So I'm really curious about, like you said that you, I always try to think about who's listening and what could they be thinking or what questions might they have. So let's yeah. say that someone else out there is, you know, they're not sure if they have OCD or they just found this for the first time. And like, what were some of the looking back, like the obvious telltale signs that you had OCD now that you know it, like the compulsions, if you're comfortable sharing anything like that. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And I just sat on OCD panel last night. So I was warming up for this interview. Yeah. Um, and everybody should go to Jenna, it sounds like for ERP treatment, because being a practitioner, and then somebody who also has a lived experience must make you a super compassionate, just like, on top of your game. Um, ERP. I don't know. Therapist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's always a journey, right? You're probably, I'm sure that we're all our biggest self-critic, but I, that's incredible. It also makes us have to, and you could relate to this too, like as an advocate and as a public figure, you have to kind of like walk your talk. <laughs> so, oh yes. So Being yeah. an advocate has helped me personally in so many ways because it's like, I'm not about like, now granted life isn't perfect and I don't, pretend like I've got everything figured out and that every day is perfect. In fact, I try to project the opposite so that people do feel less alone and understand that like every day comes with its ups and downs, but like definitely, it definitely keeps me, um, it keeps us, it sounds like trying to walk in our best self so that we can serve others. Um, so I totally agree with that. But in terms of intrusive thoughts, um, the, the biggest genre that I had was sexual orientation, um, OCD. So to put it bluntly, I was having thoughts that I was all of a sudden I'd turn gay, that all of a sudden I was into men. Um, I would have, you know, I'd be walking down the street and uh, a handsome man would be walking towards me and he, you know, he'd have a shirt on that maybe like defined his chest a little bit and his arms. And I would have intrusive thoughts around, you know, oh, he's got a nice chest. And then that would translate into the spiral of nice chest equals I'm attracted to men equals I want to have sexual relations with a man. And so those were the intrusive thoughts. And so I would compulse 
and mine were, um, and I, the, the episode I listened to, one of them was you, you talking about pure OCD and I'm, I'm not a clinician. I'm somebody with a lived experience. So I think sometimes I try to understand the definitions um, in the context just so I can be better for others. But for me, I was just compulsing internally. Like nobody could see what I was doing. Mine wasn't like hand washing or wiping down my car or like having to come home from work and like decontaminate my clothes because they were contaminated at work or just any of maybe the external um, compulsions that listeners might be familiar with. Mine were all internal. So, okay, boom. I have this quote unquote gay thought. Well, now I have to compulse by going back in my brain and pulling up a time when I had a relation, we'll call it, with a female, and I have to go back and now check that, wait a second, do it, did I like that experience? Can I get myself aroused by this experience uh, or by that experience? Like, I still need to confirm and this is the big part about OCD is the desire for certainty. I need to confirm without a shadow of a doubt that I am 100% straight because that's always how I've identified. And now I need to make sure and confirm that I'm still straight. And it's just this crippling fear that all of a sudden you've changed this doubt that you thought you were this one person. And now all of a sudden you've just changed and how could this happen? And how can I be sure? And, then there's um, there's there's the kind of the unexpected uh, sensations that you can get from having sexual orientation intrusive thoughts, where maybe you feel a little sensation down in your groinal area, and you're like, "Oh, this is proof that I'm gay now." Like, and it's funny because I'm so, I'm so it, glad that you mentioned that. And yeah, I like I these are all I try really hard to like specifically note the things that I know like are going to be super taboo because those are the things that are going to make people in their car be like, yes, yes, that's me. Like that, that I like, that's new information for them. So it's this groinal response. It's really common, right? Like, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I've spoken to a lot of OCD therapists and, and it's like, just like collecting notes now as an advocate. And it's like people, people, I think that this, I mean, hopefully the idea is right. We don't want to we don't want to give people reassurance because then it's just going to make the compulsions worse. But the idea is like, if you're having sexual thoughts of any kind, like there's always a chance that you're going to have some sort of groinal response or some sort of arousal. You're having sexual thoughts. Um, but it's, it's, and again, this is getting into the ERP, but also living a valued based life. So thinking about, what what more do I want to get out get out of life besides just being stuck in these intrusive thoughts and then compulsions and that I'm not my thoughts and I'm not my feelings um, is is so important and it's a mindset that it, it, for for people like us it's like so common and it actually like it's beautiful because it can translate to literally any it's a skill set that you can translate to any category in your life, not just intrusive thoughts. It's so great for anything. Like you can have a fear about being fired and you can begin to live with uncertainty. I don't know. Maybe I could be fired from my job. Maybe I'm good at my job. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Like I'm just going to show up and live a value, value-based life and whatever happens outside of that is kind of out of my control and that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. I always, and I think, you know, as far as the reassurance stuff goes, like yeah, sure. Like, uh, I think it's important to tell people, 
you know, like once, maybe twice so that they understand it. But then obviously someone's asking it again and again, and they just want to make sure. And, you know, you mentioned that grown response, like, are you like, obviously then it's going to be reassurance, but right. I think so many people are terrified to mention that because it's so, you know, just taboo. And they're afraid that that's a feeling, right? Like it's not just a thought, it's a feeling. So it feels more important. It feels like it's le like at less than their control. And therefore there's more, there's more to suggest off of that feeling, but it happens with people who have experienced a traumatic rape too. Like, you know, yes. people ex when they're retelling that event, they may have that groinal response. They may have orgasms while they're being raped. And obviously like we would not, like you can have that really uncomfortable experience that you did not like. It's a traumatic experience, obviously, but when we're talking about bodies here and sex, like your body doesn't always know the context. And so, yep, at the end of the day, like we still got to sit with that uncertainty 100% because we can't be 100% certain about anything, including our sexual orientation. And it's so, so good. Like we got to know that our bodies are crazy. Our bodies do weird things just like our minds does. I literally so agree with that. And it's funny because like one of my really good friends out here, I live in um, Southern California, he's gay. And we've had in-depth conversations just about his journey of coming out. And he had sex with women for years and years and years, right? And orgasmed and all of these different things because it's, but he knew deep down inside that it, it wasn't something, that it wasn't who he was, that he was putting on a facade, um, to try to fit in, he was scared to, to come out. And it wasn't, and this is the big distinction, right? Because I was on the panel last night and there was a lot of people asking like, well, how do I know if it's intrusive thoughts or if it's my real desires? And it's like, if it's causing you like doubt, frustration, irritability, anxiety, if it's not bringing you feelings of joy and, and almost peace and calm, like, yeah, like that is who I am. Um, then more than likely, there's a good chance that it's an intrusive thought. And there, there is such thing as experiencing guilt, but that doesn't, you know, like you can experience guilt about coming out, but that could be more rooted in cultural, right? Maybe your family is an extremely religious family and, and being, being gay in the eyes of God is, is inappropriate or isn't right. And therefore you were brought up in that environment. So you feel guilt about that, but you don't feel guilty about being gay. That's who you are. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, and it's been really cool, like intrusive, like going through ERP has expanded my thought process around um, like sexual fluidity, like just identity, all of it. Like it's, everything is so fluid and, but yet as human beings, like, of course we like polarized thinking, black or white thinking, where things are this way or that way. This is right. This is wrong. This is how you do it. This is not how you do it. Um, this is who I am. This is who I'm not. And it's like, it's just been such a great skill. Um, so for anybody who's like getting ready to go on their ERP journey, it's, it's actually, a, it's, it can be a, a challenging journey, but it's actually a beautiful journey because you can develop acceptance in so many areas of your life and acceptance is freedom. Um, it, it, it expands the boxes, the rules that we set for each other in which we can live and exist. And I just, I love it. I think it's a beautiful thing. I'm grateful every day that I, that I have OCD and that I went through ERP and, and all of that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure we have tons of people out there who 
are scared of making that leap. You know, I meet with people every day who need exposure and response prevention, but they're scared. You know, it seems counterintuitive. Can you give them any advice, like someone who's maybe just starting or maybe they're kind of feeling discouraged by it, just starting the process of ERP? So I think the the first thing, and I'm, so I'm a college success coach on the side, but I do have a couple coaching clients with OCD. Now I never do ERP. I want to be very clear. I never do ERP. That's not my role. When they work with me, they also work with a clinician that specializes in ERP. So I'm really there for the support and maybe coaching through getting over some of those hurdles to actually engage in the ERP, um, to live a values-based lifestyle, to um, chip away at different goals that are going to bring you meaning and purpose. And one conversation that was recently had is um, getting the one of my coaching clients to understand that it, that resistance to wanting to do the ERP, that fear, that anxiety is nothing more than science. It is a part of your brain that's it, its entire function is survival. That part of your brain is supposed to send you signals of fear. It's supposed to send you signals of anxiety because its number one function is to keep you alive. People with OCD and anxiety, just that part of their brain just operates at a, at a higher level is what I'll say. It's just a little more active. And then we've got this other part of the brain that's the CEO. And this is the part that can reason, um, can utilize logic and sometimes these two parts of our brains can be at odds with each other but it's it's ultimately understanding if you if you can to get to a logical level using the ceo of your brain to say oh the reason why i'm feeling tense anxious stressed frustrated fearful right now is because this part of my brain is trying to protect me and it thinks that if i do this exposure that on the other side of it is danger right that if, if, if I do this exposure that the very thing that I'm scared of is going to come true, but that's, that's not true. This is just one part of my brain that's functioning to, to send me those signals. But the CEO of my brain knows that if I do this on, the other, this, on the other side of this is actually the life that I've always wanted. Because maybe somebody's life has contracted down to something so small where they're they're not going outside. They're not interacting with people. They're not in a career. They're not living the lives that they want because they're so scared of their thoughts coming true. But I think it starts by realizing that your brain is just a part of your brain is just doing a function that it, that by the way, does this function is done for everybody's brain. Ours is just a little more active and does it in some categories that maybe other brains wouldn't. So being grounded in that kind of trying to use a little bit of logic to convince yourself to do the ERP um, but then the second thing is it's living a values based lifestyle, but also incentives. So it's like, when you think about a kid, like maybe you, maybe a kid doesn't want to eat their vegetables. Right. But as a parent, you're like, okay, I know that my child should, should eat their vegetables. What I'll do is I'll have them eat their vegetables and then I'll incentivize them with a little sweet treat that I know that they'll like after they eat their veggies. And so you do this. They eat their veggies, maybe they put up a little bit of a fuss, but they still do it, and then they get their sweet treat. So there's a little reward at the end of a challenging event. And so with myself, with anybody I work with, it's always like, let's put something at the other side of this. So if you're going to do 10 minutes of ERP, 10, 15, 20, I, I always try to make it finite at the start because I think that it makes it more digestible. Um, 
let's put, let's put that sweet treat at the end. Maybe it's an episode of your show that you love. Maybe afterwards you want to take a nap. I want to go on a walk. I want to grab coffee with a friend. I want to, and I always want it to be something healthy. It's not like, okay, I did ERP. Now I can go get drunk, right? Um, <laughs> so, something healthy. But those little mind shifts, those little tricks were what helped me get activated to do to do the ERP. Okay, number one, this is just my brain operating a function. It's, of course, going to send me signals of fear. I'm going to do it anyways. And then on the other end of this, here's a little sweet treat for me that I get to give myself every single time I do my ERP. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's super, super helpful. Um, I know we do that a lot more with children too, like with children and adolescents who, you know, may not be all in it just for the internal motivators, but I think it's a, it's helpful for, for adults too. Like I don't, I wouldn't work necessarily if I didn't get paid every two weeks, right? Like we exactly. all <laughs> have consequences, pros and cons. And so I think that it's totally I think it's great, right? Like at the end of a long work week, yeah, I'm looking forward to guilt-free, like putting my son in front of his iPad tonight for like an hour and going to bed early. Like that's my yes. Um, yeah, so we all operate under rewards. And so I think a lot of times people are like, no, I should just want to do it. I should just like want to do it. And it's like, yeah, maybe. And you're probably going to want to do it more with rewards. Like what's just treat yourself. It's great. That's a great idea. Um, I do. I do it with so many aspects of my life because <laughs> once I found it worked with the ERP, I was like, oh, I can do this with the gym now too. Like if I don't feel like working out today, like I'll just put something on the other end of it that I'm excited about and all I have to do is get through this to get that. So yeah, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go to the gym for 20, 30, 40, you know, 45, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think sometimes with ERP, like you can relate to this. I'm sure the benefits aren't usually immediate, like the way that a compulsion is, right? compulsion or right. doing a ritual or some safety seeking behavior, it immediately feels good. It doesn't feel good yep. for long, but your brain likes that immediate instant gratification. And so oh, yeah. exposure and response prevention, obviously you're in it for the long haul. You're in it for the long-term gains and it feels kind of crappy at first. Um, hopefully we get people to the point where they can feel good about challenging themselves and that kind of inwardly makes them feel good about it. But you know, the benefits of like, wow, I'm not spending as much money this month on paper towels or wow, like I can actually go out in public with my son. That's awesome. You don't get that right away. And so I think implementing like short term rewards and stuff like that, just to help keep you with some skin in the game is really, really important. Yes. Yes. And I love how you broke it down because it's, it's short term and long term and the long term values-based lifestyles, what's like, that's that long-term recovery that you were talking about at the very beginning and, and the sustainability, right? And it's like the contracting and expanding, like, okay, my life is contracted down to this, but like, I want to expand it where I am working in a nonprofit that I'm passionate about, or I'm working at, at a, the local coffee shop because I'm passionate about coffee and my OCD has kept me from holding down a part-time job and I'm passionate about socializing with friends, but my OCD has contracted me to this point where I don't, I don't connect with anybody anymore or um, with your physical fitness or I like to travel and I haven't left my home in a year. Like I want to get like, those types of things. So it, it does eventually get to the point where it's like, okay, I want to live a, court, a life according to my values and I'm willing to experience, and this is kind of a cliche, but some of that short-term pain 
for long-term gain. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love how you broke that down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was, I was just laughing at myself over here. I told you guys, I told Zach before this, uh, audio started, like, I'm not going to keep you for very long. And I just realized that we're almost an hour in. So I definitely kept you longer than I thought. <laughs> we just, we have so much to say. We are just having too good of a time. Oh, we had a back and forth going. It yeah. was awesome. And that's like, what's so awesome about the OCD community. I never really noticed it until like the pandemic hit and everyone kind of like came online. Um, but the OCD community is just so strong. Like every therapist, every advocate, every person who's kind of been through it, like we really believe in it because it works and it works so well. So anyone out there who's listening, so glad that you got this information. Zach, I told you that I wouldn't steal you for very long and I totally did. So I want to make sure that we have time to like wrap up the, with a couple like impromptu questions that I like to ask sure. for people. Um, you know, your story is incredible and so inspiring and I love it. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. I'm curious if you could go back at any point, really at any point throughout this entire process and tell yourself one or a couple things, what would that be? Well, the first thing would be you're not alone. Um, and that's why that's the title of my book. I just, I believe in that message so much because when you feel like you're alone, you feel hopeless and hopelessness is that seed of doubt that opens the door to deep depression, thoughts of suicide, isolation, loneliness. Um, so to the person who's starting their journey, you are not alone. There are millions of us around the world that live with uh, OCD on a daily basis and are contributing members of society. Things aren't always perfect, but um, you know, it's not, it's, you're not doomed just because you, you have OCD. Um, so that would be the biggest message. You're not alone and recovery is possible. Yeah. Awesome. All the things that we wish we could have said to ourselves for sure. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm always yep. glad no one asks me this, that question because I don't know what I would say. I don't know what I would say to myself. I'd really have to think about it. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I titled this podcast, all the hard things because, obviously to do this work, like you have to be willing and you have to be wanting to do the hard things. Um, similar to how we just talked about, right? Like you have to be willing to do the hard things so that in the future, in the long term, things are better and you learn and you get used to it. And I think there's so much value in doing hard things, but obviously I've worked with so many people who are like, why would I want to do that? Like, why would I <laughs> want to do this hard thing if I could have a choice not to? And it's really hard to answer that. Like I, in a way I have so much to say and in a way I have nothing to say. So I decided mm. every time I have a guest, I'm going to ask that question. So why do you think it's important to do and go through hard things? Because you can like, I'll, I'll liken it to, let's just do like physical fitness. Like if you're lifting a weight, if you're doing a, a hit workout, if you're doing a cardio dance class, if you're doing cross crossfit i clearly don't i'm not a crossfit guy but you know whatever the 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 type of exercise is it's really hard it's really challenging but when you go through it and you go through it enough times you start to develop strength and that's the same thing with exposure and response prevention every single time you step up you do 10 minutes you do 15 minutes you do 5 minutes you do 20 minutes of erp you are investing in yourself to, to come out the other side a stronger individual. Um, and I just think that there's a lot of value in that. And when you become a stronger individual and you know you've become a stronger individual, there's a lot of 
confidence and self-esteem that comes with that. And you know that you're a special person for living with a brain disorder like OCD and still showing up every single day. And so for me, I think that that's the incentive. Um, it's, it's tapping into a better version of yourself that was always there, but sometimes we have to, we have to go in there and do the work to, to uncover that person. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I wish that I could just take you and have you be with me for every session ever. (laughs) (laughs) Just play this in the background. (laughs) Yeah. Just like get that clip, like for that one minute and just be like, before I even introduce myself, before I even talk to you about your diagnosis or whatever, like, just listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Just have them like, you know, put in their AirPods before they go to bed and play this for 60 seconds or, you know, 60 seconds in the morning, whatever it takes. Oh, I love it. So yeah, sorry, not sorry that I took you for so long, but we had so much to talk about. I want to give you a chance to talk about all the awesome work that you do, where people can find you, how they can get your book, all that stuff. Go for it. Cool. Um, so the, the first place you can go is to zachwesterbeck.com. Um, that's, that's got a link to the book there. Um, the book is on Amazon, so you can type in You're Not Alone, and it'll pop up and probably like the, the first like two, two or three, maybe four options. It's, it's done, it's done well. So there's, it's, it's up there. It's not buried in the archives. Um, so you can type in, you're not alone on Amazon and find it there. Um, ZachWesterbeck.com to learn more about my coaching, my speaking, um, the book, and then my Instagram handle, which is really where I'm most active right now is at Zach underscore Westerbeck. Zach is with an H Westerbeck is with all E's. So yeah, that's how you can, get into contact. I do respond to DMs. Sometimes it takes me a couple days, so please don't get offended. Um, But I always want to connect and help any way I possibly can. Awesome. Well, I am sure that you guys will find his help so helpful. And oh my gosh, this is going to be an awesome episode. So Zach, I'm going to put all that information, quick links in the show notes. So you guys don't have to be scrambling to write it down. Just head to the show notes and I can link everything there, including his book, his Instagram, his website, all those things. Um, You can see all the cool stuff that he offers. Thank you so much again for your time. I know that it's precious and I just, I can feel how much you're in this, you know, your heart is totally in it. So thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you, Jenna. You were awesome. It was really, really great to, to get to like really meet you and know you on this podcast. So thank you. Thank you. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.